0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We had a lot of fun last week talking about Beelzebub, which we have to admit is an unusual way to start a radio program. But let's face it. We like to be an unusual radio program. I do want to note that since we aired that show last week, I've had a chance to maybe reconsider a line or two from it. Our reference to the fact that hell was probably filled with lawyers needs to be balanced off by this correspondence experience in the past week where I had a remarkable experience with a, with a couple members of the legal profession. It reminds us to remind you that it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. And while we've taken our shots at lawyers, um, I think most of them deserved. It is good to pause now and again and say there are some good people out there in the profession. Thank God. The man who got this show started, Steve Alexander, is a lawyer. His original idea was, hey, let's do a radio show. I'll be the lawyer, you be the doctor. That's what got us going. We've had local legal contributors like Nancy Yamada educating us to some good causes. And of course, the late great Ed Martin was a lawyer himself. It's funny, I've been going through some old papers, which I hopefully will tell you about later in the program, and discovered a lot of interesting names of people that have been on the show. Lawrence Teeter was a lawyer we interviewed about the RFK assassination. We would have liked to have had him back, but Mr. Teeter sadly passed away some years ago. So did someone else whose name um, came up when I was going through these old files. Danny Schechter also known as the News Dissector, spoke to us back in the early days. We'd meaning to bring him back for some time. Alas, that's never going to happen. But I don't want to bog down in stories of being an archaeologist in my own life, and instead let's commence this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in history today is the 26th of March, and it was on March 26th in 1799 that the United States and Tunis signed a treaty in which the U.S. buys protection against pirate attacks along the North African Barbary coast. This correspondent has always wanted to go to Tunisia. That desire took a hit with the terrorist attack last week, sad to note. But I still hope that things will turn around and that the day may come when uh, one can safely be a tourist there. On March 26th in 1859, the solar system briefly gained an extra planet when French amateur astronomer Les Carbalt reports seeing an object inside the orbit of Venus. He named it Vulcan. The object was later held to be a rogue asteroid. And definitely not the birthplace of Mr. Spock. March 26th in 1992, Cosmonaut Sergei Kirkalev returned to Earth after 313 days aboard the Mir space station and landed in a new country. While he was in space, the USSR had ceased to exist. And finally, it was on March 26th in 1997. Can it be that long ago? Near San Diego, police discovered 39 victims of a mass suicide, members of the Heaven's Gate cult who believed that suicide would allow them to leave their bodily containers and enter an alien spacecraft hidden behind the Hale-Bopp comet. That uh, did not work out as expected. Although there are some rather cruel people who would note that it possibly did clean up the gene pool in San Diego. Radio Parallax would not say anything that mean, however. Even though the devil has tempted us mightily towards cynicism and viciousness, we continue to resist. Our quote today comes from author Erica Jong, who said, Advice is what we ask for when we already know the answer, but wish we didn't. Our quip of the today comes from George Orwell, who said, On the whole, human beings want to be good, but not too good, and not quite all the time. Our jokes of the day come, first of all, from Jimmy Fallon, who said, It's rumored that Obama recently purchased a house in Hawaii that was featured on the show Magnum P.I., Not to be outdone, Joe Biden is moving into Spongebob's pineapple. And from David Letterman, we have this. You know who's really ready to go with the presidential campaign? Jeb Bush. He has already got the crooked voting machines lubed up. He's ready to go, and Jeb Bush already has plans to end the war in Iraq that his brother started. And all he needs is a hot tub time machine. Our stat of the day, and it's a sad one, from, comes from Politico.com and notes that since the start of the Syrian civil war four years ago, which I would interject, is a war which the Pentagon and our intelligence services ginned up, in spite of being warned by many that they did not have the power to overthrow Assad, the average life expectancy in Syria has dropped from 79.5 years to 55.7 years, about the same as in South Sudan and Malawi. That's according to a U.N. report. And we'll have more to say about our successes in the Arab world a little bit later. Our anecdote of the day comes from film actress Robin Wright. Ms. Wright was married to Sean Penn for, I guess, almost a quarter of a century. And after reviving her acting career with the TV series House of Cards and finding a new partner in 34-year-old actor Ben Foster, she had this to say to the press. Perhaps it's not ladylike to say, but I never laughed more, read more, or come more than with Ben. I feel as though I've just graduated. I mean, I never went to college. I was pregnant at 23. They have to pause and say, well, yes, most of us are substantially done with college by 23. You hear people say they've arrived, but it was always just there waiting to come out. I'm 48. I'm finally a person. Well, we're glad that Robin Wright is laughing more and reading more, but do we really need the rest of this? Of course we do not. We're sorry we brought it up, frankly. But it's worth noting the mainstream media is completely driven, it seems, by celebrity-inspired nonsense. We will try to do better. And our good news of the week is that uh, Sheena Kina, a 27-year-old Florida woman, was texting a couple weeks back and walked into the path of an oncoming freight train. And luckily for her, it must have been a glancing blow because she only broke an arm. Please, exercise caution while texting around locomotives. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for humbling the exalted. After Creeflow Dollar, I guess that's his name, Creeflow Dollar, a televangelist at the World Changers Church, was forced by widespread ridicule to drop a fundraising drive to enable him to buy a $65 million Gulfstream jet. Now, a spokesman for the Reverend Dollar said he might still seek to buy a plane if one comes along that is properly priced. And on the other hand, it was a bad week last week for disappearing acts with the news that the water in magician David Copperfield's rooftop pool evidently vanished and in the process flooded his penthouse apartment as well as multiple floors of his New York City apartment building on East 57th Street. Copperfield's attorney, Ted Blumfield, told the New York Post that a malfunctioning pump was to blame. He said the entire pool drained through Copperfield's four-story apartment and others beneath it, soaking walls and floors. Copperfield was evidently performing in Las Vegas at the time. His attorney said the pool would be refilled and steps taken to prevent future problems. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for urban planning with the news that Egypt is now planning to build a new capital just east of Cairo, the capital it's held for the last thousand years, The $45 billion project called the Capital Cairo, I guess that's to distinguish it from the current capital in Cairo, will apparently house the entire bloated government bureaucracy as well as universities, hospitals, tourist centers, and an airport. Cairo residents were angered by the announcement of this project saying the enormous sum of money would be better invested in the existing capital to provide the population with clean water, health care, and a working infrastructure. It's noted that the project is will be partly financed by other sheikhs. A Dubai-based investment fund that built the city's largest skyscraper will oversee the project, and the United Arab Emirates has already chipped in $4 billion in exchange for some naming rights. Frankly, we did not know there was $4 billion worth of value in naming rights, but we would like to let them know over in Dubai that for the paltry fee of $400,000, Radio Parallax will rename itself Radio United Arab Emirates. Of course, we do point out that any investors will have to match KDVS's annual pledge drive funding goals. All right, after doing a a show dedicated to the devil last week, we need more levity, I think, on this week's program. So I want to, uh, in this case, cite a posting from Facebook by my good friend Mark Shevchek, which consisted of his to-do list. We especially like six of these choices. And submit for your consideration (laughs) half-dozen things you might want to consider doing, such as making vanilla pudding, putting it into a mayo jar, and then walking around eating it in public. You could also hire two private investigators and then get them to follow each other. You can major in philosophy. This is especially appropriate for a university radio station. Major in philosophy, and then you can ask people why they would like fries with that. Another option, wear a shirt that says life, and then stand in a street corner handing out lemons. And our second favorite, buy a parrot and then teach the parrot to say, Help! I've been turned into a parrot! And our personal favorite, you may want to exercise caution with this one, but you can follow joggers around in your car blasting Eye of the Tiger for encouragement. All right, Mark, we hope you're listening. One of the funniest guys I've ever been associated with. We hope he will contribute to this program more directly in the future by coming on and speaking with us. Since he hasn't yet agreed to come on and, and speak with us, uh, that wasn't exactly his real name either. So you hear that, Mark, for proper billing. Come on! And speaking of funny, we can't resist a, a story titled Nothing Funny About Indian Bureaucracy by Jaideep Gridhar from the Mumbai Mirror, as reprinted in The Week. Said the author, the cancellation of Jerry Seinfeld's Indian stand up debut would make a great Seinfeld episode. Seinfeld was set to perform two gigs at a Mumbai stadium last weekend, but at the last minute, police demanded that organizers find additional parking for thousands more vehicles, saying they were worried these sold-out shows would snarl traffic throughout the city. While the organizers complied, the officials waited too long to approve the new parking, and the gigs had to be canceled. It should be noted that authorities in Maharashtra State, where Mumbai is located last year, launched an investigation... Into Jerry Seinfeld after he joked on TV about India's potholed roads and the National Censorship Board has drawn up a list of ostensibly obscene words to be banned from movies, including Bombay, the so-called colonial name for the city. Seinfeld might have easily mocked these kinds of idiocies in his act and just noted that maybe he'd start joking about Mumbai officialdom. Noted Mr. Gridhauer, Indians who live here aren't laughing. So what's the deal with these pothole roads? And uh, how about this item from Russia? And we again have the week to thank for this. It's known that the only preserved camp of the Soviet gulag system is located in Russia's southern Ural Mountains. Perm 36 was the site of torture of numerous political prisoners, many of them from the Lithuanian Soviet Socialist Republic. Lithuanians are looking at this recent revamp of the camp much the way Jews might feel if the museum at Auschwitz changed its focus to commemorate the noble work of the camp's Nazi guards. Because in 1992, after the USSR dissolved, the Russian human rights group Memorial preserved Perm 36 that later generations of Russians could understand the horrors of Stalinism. But now, after more than a decade under Vladimir Putin, Russian authorities have declared Memorial's members to be foreign agents and the museum to victims of Stalin's repression is being dismantled. In its place will be a museum, quote, to the penal system, unquote, and some of the managers include the very prison guards who abused Lithuanian dissidents. Soon, the site will extol the heroic resistance of the Soviet people with exhibits that demonstrate how well the gulag prevented dissidents from committing new crimes against the state. Yes, we await the Russian government's new production of Springtime for Stalin. Since we appear to be taking a turn into sordid political events, let's talk about the fact that as now yet another Arab state, in this case Yemen, degenerates in the Civil War. Apparently about $500 million worth of American military aid, like weapons, aircraft, and equipment, may have fallen into the hands of Iranian-backed rebels or Al-Qaeda. Apparently, anonymous Pentagon officials told the Washington Post they can no longer track the small arms, boats, and other supplies the U.S. gave the Yemeni government, which then fell into iran back Houthi rebels in January. The Houthis have taken some Yemeni military bases in the north. Meanwhile, al-Qaeda militants now control some of the south. Now, there was a great front line last week talking about ISIS, which is a terrible, terrible topic. But you do have to take a look at these bunch of psychopathic killers. And sad to note, that appears to be what they are, using a this veneer of jihadism and vicious militant Islam to go out and do what they'd probably like to do anyway, kill people. That said, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago in this program, it's, it's understandable that there would be a certain amount of resentment from the population in Iraq, from the fact that the Shiite government of Nuri al-Maliki basically was suppressing Sunnis right and left. People were being murdered in the streets. And the rather pathetic Iraqi military, which we supposedly had to spend a lot of time over their training, was apparently driven out of northern cities by pitifully small bands of rebels. Of course, after they left, abandoning, again, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of U.S. military equipment, ISIS was able to seize it. When you see the footage of them coming into cities in armored personnel carriers and tanks, well, they didn't get those from the Ruskies. But here's the part I like about all this. They talk about how we have to have all these losses of freedom so they can protect us against the terrorists. But it turns out we don't have very good intelligence, like in Yemen. Recent piece by Eric Schmidt in the New York Times points this out. The article notes that the rapid rise of the Islamic State has commandeered the immediate attention of President Obama and other Western leaders, but U.S. officials say Al-Qaeda's affiliate in Yemen poses the most direct threats to Americans at home, abroad, or aboard commercial aircraft. Oh, did we mention the fact that uh, they evacuated 125 U.S. special operations advisors in the past couple days? The article notes that the loss of Yemen as a base for U.S. counterterrorism training, advising, and intelligence gathering does carry major implications. And unfortunately, I can't put my hands on it, but I had another article cut out for discussion mentioning how the U.S. was crippled in Iraq by the fact that it did not did not have good intelligence on ISIS. We're especially crippled by lack of what's called human intelligence. We still have our drones and satellites and spies in the sky etc but doggone it this those just don't appear to be working as well as we would hope and we've got a piece here from james glance sebastian rotella and david sanger also from the new york times from last december 24th noting that big clues were missed in the 2008 mumbai terror attack speaking of mumbai and of course we again have to thank edward snowden the former nsa contractor for leaking the classified documents outlining these intelligence failures. Yes, apparently the U.S., Britain, and India were all tracking the guys that were scouting out uh, the, the locations for this attack. But, and stop me if you heard this one before, the piece notes, the intelligence agencies of the three nations did not pull together all of the strands gathered by their high-tech surveillance and other tools, which might have allowed them to disrupt This terror attack so scarring that it is often called India's 9-11. The piece notes that the hidden history of the Mumbai attacks reveals the vulnerability as well as the strengths of computer surveillance and intercepts as counter-terrorism weapons, according to investigation by The Times, ProPublica, and the PBS series Frontline. The piece notes, and I think I should read this very carefully, that although electronic eavesdropping often yields valuable data, even tantalizing clues can be missed if the technology is not closely monitored, or if the intelligence gleaned from it is not linked with other information, or if analysis does not sift incriminating activity from the ocean of digital data. I think that pretty well says it all, don't you? If you set up some equipment to monitor something, you should basically monitor it. And once you have that data, you should link it to, quote, other information, unquote. And we do think it's a good idea if your analysis does take the time to sift incriminating activity from an ocean of digital data. But hey, that's just us. And by the way, this might be a good time to mention that any opinions heard on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Now we do note that a lot of the other public affairs programs use a slightly different worded disclaimer to note that the opinions expressed on this or that program do not represent those of the university, our sponsors, or the regents. We don't think that has it quite right. We're pretty sure that sometimes they do. And we're quite certain that we offer an opinion like the sun rises in the east that in that particular instance, that opinion probably does reflect those of KDVS, our sponsors, and the University of California. But at any rate, in our opinion, it's now time to take a break, so let's do that. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett.